You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. I had the opportunity while in seminary to spend a little over a month on a ranch in Wyoming that was located just across the road from a cloistered Carmelite monastery. And while I was there, I had quite a few opportunities to go to daily mass at the monastery. And just because it's, it's just their small community and then a f- couple of other people from around other ranches. So they didn't v- preach very often, but on the Feast of the Holy Family, one of the priests preached. And he, t- he spoke of the Carmelite charism of living out in their community the hidden life of the Holy Family the kind of mysterious, hidden charity that Jesus and Mary and Joseph lived with one another in Nazareth in those years that we don't know very much about. The kind of looking up and out first and and not at ourselves. And this was intriguing to me, first because I was like, that's a cool idea for a charism, but the, the whole kind of point of the hidden life is that we don't know what happens, so how are we supposed to ever live that. What does that even mean? But I think if that, if I would have actually talked to that monk about it, he would have said something like the contemplating and imagining what their life would have been like between those three is kind of part of the great beauty of the thing. Just kind of contemplating what three of the most perfect humans who ever lived would have, would have been like in their home. And so I think I agree with that, that that contemplation is, is worthwhile, and so I think we should take some time to look at that. You know, what do we know about the hidden life of the Holy Family, and, and what can it teach us? How can we kind of use that and apply that to our own lives in some way to hopefully transform our inner life? First, our life of prayer, uh, our relationship to the Trinity, but then also our, our kind of life amidst our family and our friends. I think there's a tension in every human relationship that I think actually becomes more pronounced as the relationship becomes more intimate. And that tension is our desire as human beings for perfect love. That we desire to be known totally and loved perfectly by someone in this life. Uh, we, We have to receive that at some point. It's the only thing that will ever bring us real joy. But then at the same time, we know that all of our relationships that we currently have fall short of that. That no one in our our life, not your parents, not your spouse, not your best friend, will ever love you perfectly. And that's because they're imperfect. So they're incapable of that. But not only are we imperfect, but we're also finite. So we're we're incapable, even if we were perfect people, we couldn't. We couldn't give each other the love that we, that we demand, uh, and rightly demand. And so we, we tend to try to amend for this in a couple different ways. I think the first that's become really common today is I call kind of the social media method, which is accumulating as many possible friendships as we can accumulate. You know, high school kids who have like 180 Snapchat streaks, you know, Send 180 snaps every single day to different people. 
Maybe between those 180 people who barely care about me, that'll add up to one person who really cares about me. And, but it obviously doesn't work for us, and it's exhausting. Sure, I don't do that, but I'm sure it's exhausting. Uh, the second way that we try to amend it is to just like claim our independence from it all. Like, well, none of this has ever made me happy, so I'm just going to do it on my own. You know, I'm enough for me. I don't need anybody. And, that, and that's kind of ends up, we end up closing ourselves off to any real relationships. All of our friends suddenly become acquaintances. And, and then we just kind of go at the world alone. I think that we're well aware that both of those are kind of sad and unhappy ways to go about life. And, and our world knows that. So we've placed, for whatever reason, all of the emphasis in our world upon marriage as the one thing that will solve all of your problems. And, and especially if you spend at least $30,000 on the wedding, then it'll definitely solve all your problems. But we simultaneously say, kind of in our, in our culture, that, but if it, that doesn't work out, then bag it. You're good. It, just walk away and you'll be fine. And if it seems absurd to hold both of those both of those kind of attitudes at the same time, it's because it is. And, but it gives, it kind of lets us know a, disp- a, a particular disposition that we have towards relationships in our society. It's kind of a, a mindset that we have that as Christians we must not take, but I think we tend to often do it. So, so let's talk about it. Because our culture believes that relationships, so every relationship I'm in is fundamentally about me when it comes down to it. The questions we ask, you know, is this making me happy? Is this, is this relationship giving me what I need? Are my hopes and dreams the main focus of my relationship with this person? Those are the questions we tend to ask first, and, and why is that? I think it's because uh, no matter what it is, a friendship or family or anything, we, we think that our happiness is going to be kind of in the end, it, it's, it's going to be best approached by taking things, by like, we need to get what we need. You know, if I want to be happy, I need to fulfill my needs in some way, and that involves taking from someone, whether that's an emotional or a, or a material thing, or, or a kind of a, even a religious or, or a spiritual thing. And so modern relationships end up being, I see this more in friendships, but even sometimes in, in marriages, it kind of ends up being like roping somebody else into helping you accomplish your dreams. And then if it's not too inconvenient, you'll help them accomplish their dreams too. And so we kind of find ourselves in this, this almost like a anno- slightly annoying business partnership. But let's contrast that to the way that Joseph and Mary and Jesus approached their family. You know, let's look specifically at today's gospel. Because it's kind of mysterious. It's actually a difficult gospel to understand in a lot of ways. So what happened today? Mary and Joseph left Jesus in Jerusalem. You know, was it there? Was it negligence? No. The way that it, Jesus knew when they were leaving, you know, he, they probably told him. And the caravan's big. There's family everywhere. It's not necessarily about that. There's something bigger going on here. So they get back into town after figuring out he's not in the caravan and they're searching for three days. Obviously, extremely stressful. Nazareth is a town of 200. Jerusalem's a huge city. Your kid's lost. It's a stressful time. And they finally find him in the temple. And he's kind of schooling the teachers with his understanding. And then they, 
Mary reprimands him as any good mother would because she's afraid and anxious. And his answer is, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is a a 12-year-old saying this to his parents. That's an extremely embarrassing thing to have your 12-year-old say to you. You should have known I was here. And it's in front of everyone, intellectuals and teachers. And, And how do they respond, though? They're in awe. They don't understand it, but they don't respond in anger or in, in kind of bitterness or anything. And that's because Joseph and Mary don't care about people's opinions. They don't even seem to care about their own opinion in this moment because they know that they were given a mission before they even entered into marriage. They were given a mission that required everything of them that not only did it not take into account their hopes and dreams as the center of it all, they had to sacrifice everything in order to do this one thing that God was asking of them. But what was that one thing? It was raising the Son of God. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't sacrifice their whole life for that mission? I mean, it's an incredible mission. It's heroic. It's the greatest mission any human's ever been given. And yet we see this. We see the joy that this brought them. Uh, the, the kind of greatness that it called out of them to do this. And, and, we, and we see the self-sacrifice paying off, and yet we struggle still to live that out in our own lives, to really embrace the idea that God has a plan that might be better than our plan for our life. Uh, one of the great things about families in particular, and in particular having children, is it sort of at least demands for a certain amount of time that you just can't care about yourself uh, because you've got a little kid right here who's demanding all of you. And that's, that's kind of an incredible natural thing that calls people to greatness. But, but I think we need to take that and apply it in a sense to our whole life. Uh, does God have a plan for every relationship that I enter into that that calls me out of myself to self-sacrificial love. And we're never going to know any of these things, I don't think, unless we kind of build the foundation of God's love in our lives. Because he's the one who actually loves us perfectly. He's the only one who can give us that love that we desire. No one in this world is capable of it, and we know that. But then once we embrace that love that he wants to give us, then we can approach every other relationship in our life in a new and different way. Uh, we, can, we can have a sort of disposition of giving and not taking, uh, a readiness to sacrifice for other people, and the belief that it's actually through those things that we will receive joy. It's not through taking things. It's actually through giving of ourselves that we will ever be happy. And I think this, we learn this most in prayer, actually, because prayer specifically consists in, in, in God being the object. We're not the primary object of our prayer. We're immediately going outside of ourselves uh, to be with God in prayer. And so we learn to do that in everything else. And then when we see the imperfections of those around us, when we see how inadequate the love that our, that our family and that our friends and everyone has for us, we can see it with God's eyes and not the eyes of someone who's demanding more than someone else can give. And then when we see it with God's eyes, we can be merciful to one another in real ways. Uh, And we can forgive those who haven't loved us perfectly. Uh, 
And so take on that disposition of the Holy Family. Have courage in, in loving others as perfectly as you can and being willing to accept the imperfect love that they have to give. Because Christ's love is our foundation, not the love of those around us. Be ready to sacrifice the way that, that Joseph and Mary sacrificed. And I think when we do, we'll find a joy that we've never known.